0: Like I'm the mediator <laughs> of communicating between the two of you, and I'm the middle child, so I'm very comfortable right now. Yeah,
1: this is very helpful. I'm just like, actually, I think not killing female lobsters is sexist because <laughs> women can do everything men can do, including die, <laughs>
0: which is not logic that I disagree with.
2: Welcome, fellow sleuths, to Meddling Adults, a game show where we grab our garages and go head-to-head to test our wits against the prowess of fictional young detectives for charity. I'm your host, Mike Schubert. I am very bad at solving children's mysteries, which is why I'm safely behind the judges' table, letting others do it instead. Our contestants this week, in this episode, it's a fun wizarding battle between newly-minted co-workers Vanessa Zoltan and Dr. Hannah McGregor. So, Vanessa and Dr. Hannah, how is it going?
0: <laughs> I am only calling you you Dr. Hannah from now on?
2: I have to do it from the first time we recorded Potter List together, and I will do it for the end of time.
0: <laughs>
1: Mike called me, I believe, Miss McGregor at some point, and I was like, absolutely not. No. <laughs> I didn't go to Hannah school for 10 years to be called Miss McGregor.
0: Is Dr. Hannah okay? Like, you Dr. Ruth?
1: Yeah, absolutely, for sure.
0: Okay. Hi, Dr. Hannah. Hi,
1: I'm Vanessa. I never make my students call me Dr., But I really like to make Mike specifically do it.
0: I would want to make all men who aren't my students do it.
2: Yeah, that's the vibe. Yeah, we deserve it. So (laughs) today we'll be doing mysteries from Encyclopedia Brown. Have either of you read these as kids or are either of you big into mysteries of any sort?
0: I have read three Encyclopedia Brown stories with one of my godchildren And he solved all three and I solved zero.
2: Ooh, cool.
0: He was six at the time. (laughs) (laughs) I have never read an Encyclopedia Brown
1: story in my life. I generally don't enjoy mystery as a genre because I can't figure out what's happening.
2: Oh, yes. (laughs) Battle of the Titans right here.
0: (laughs) We need to stop overselling ourselves, though, Hannah.
1: <laughs> My friend Andrea always says that you have to underpromise and over-deliver, so <laughs>
2: we've
1: got the first half figured out.
2: Well, assuming that either of you can earn any points, there will be a winning charity in this episode. So, Vanessa, which charity will you be playing for today?
0: Since this is a Harry Potter-themed episode, I thought I would donate as a fuck you to JK Rowling herself, so I will be playing for the Okra Project. Which is a collective that seeks to address the global crisis faced by black trans people by bringing home-cooked and healthy food for them and that it's culturally specific. And it's an incredible organization. And fuck you, J.K. Rowling.
2: Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Dr. Hannah?
0: (laughs) I'm going to be playing for the
1: Downtown Eastside Women's Shelter here in Vancouver. It is an absolutely incredible organization that serves the disproportionately marginalized community in the Downtown Eastside in Vancouver, which includes a lot of sex workers, a lot of indigenous women, and it also stands out as a women's shelter that is inclusive of All women, not one of those bullshit cis-normative women's shelters that help no one. So, love a double fuck
2: you, a double-barreled fuck you. Look, whoever wins this episode, J.K. Rowling loses, which means we all win. <laughs> we Yay! <laughs> so, here's how the game show is going to work. I am going to be recapping some mysteries from the esteemed children's novel series Encyclopedia Brown, specifically the twelfth book in the series, which is called Encyclopedia Brown: In the Case of the Dead Eagles. Uh, we will not be doing that specific mystery, but that's the one that got the title in this one for some reason. I will lay out all of the clues. I will. Ask you for your accusations and i'll be giving out points for correct guesses of who did it why they did it etc i'll also be giving out bonus points though if your guess matches my incorrect guess i will give you a misery loves company bonus point since i'm usually very bad and very wrong and i'll also just give out bonus points for anything that makes me smile or chuckle <laughs> if you have a particularly ridiculous guess you throw some good shade around anything that makes me feel like i want to give you a bonus point i'll do it because We need joy somehow in the year 2020, so that's how I'm deriving joy. (laughs) Assigning arbitrary points to things. Hooray!
0: Mike, I have a question for you.
2: Yes, of course.
0: Did you pick this book because you hate birds and want all birds to die, like you don't care when Hedwig dies?
2: (gasps) I did not do that. I do stand by saying that Hedwig is just the personification of Gmail. So, like, I wouldn't get that mad if my Gmail account got deactivated. But uh, you know, I'm going to give you minus one point for uh, calling me out. So you uh, are down negative one to zero. Ooh.
1: I would just like to point out that, with the exception of magical owls, actually, all birds were replaced by drones years ago. So the birds <laughs> actually work for the bourgeoisie. So this is
2: the second consecutive episode where we've talked about this, and I. Can't I love it. (laughs) I mean, it's just a fact. (laughs) (laughs) So now, with all the rules being laid out, let's put the pedal to the metal and get into our first case, the case of the hypnotism lesson. So Dave Foster walks into the Brown detective agency and the narrator says, quote, Dave was seven and full of questions, which feels on brand for a seven-year-old. His first question that he asks Encyclopedia Brown is, how do you tell a boy lobster from a girl lobster? And Encyclopedia Brown says, girl lobsters have longer tails. And then Dave says, well, I think Bugs Meenie cheated me. Encyclopedia Brown says, if I know Bugs, he did. And I just imagine one of those turn to the fourth wall, like if I know Bugs Meenie, and I do, then he did. Bugs Meenie's is the town bully and he constantly runs schemes to screw kids in town out of money. So this is just another one of those schemes and Encyclopedia Brown is here to set him straight. So Bugs Meenie. As described by the narrator, it says, quote, He was the leader of a neighborhood gang of tough older boys. They called themselves the Tigers. They should have called themselves the Mountaineers. They were never on the level. <laughs> a perfect joke. This one was written in 1975. This went completely over my head. <laughs> never on the level? Is that a common phrase?
0: So they're always at high altitude because they're never at the level, like Mountaineers. Because they're never honest on the level. On
1: the level means honest. It's old-timey
2: slang for, like, straightforward. Oh, all right. I've never heard that one before, yeah. But
0: Hannah and I disagree as to whether it's a perfect joke or a horrible (laughs) joke.
2: I feel like that's the correct response to these kinds of jokes. So I think you're both right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, neither of us are going to win with that attitude.
0: (laughs) You're still in the lead, though, because I'm at negative one.
2: (laughs) Yes. So... Encyclopedia Brown says, if Bugs had his honesty taken out, it would be a one-minute operation.
1: I don't think that's how surgery works. I don't think it's faster when the thing is smaller.
2: I'm not a doctor. I am. (laughs) Uh, A medical doctor, of course.
1: Mm -hmm. Not that kind of doctor, but I'm going to say with authority, that's a medically inaccurate joke. Is anyone on this podcast a doctor?
2: (laughs) So Dave explains to Encyclopedia Brown that Bugs charged Dave a dollar to learn how to hypnotize a lobster. And here's his story. An hour earlier, Dave had walked by the Tigers' clubhouse. Bugs and his pals had just returned from catching lobsters. They were seated around a boiling kettle, getting ready to eat these lobsters that they had just caught. Uh. And Bugs told Dave that he caught 11 lobsters by hypnotizing them and then asked Dave if he wanted to learn the secret to doing so. If you give me a dollar, I'll teach you my secret. So Bugs picked up a big lobster according to Dave, the kind you would pay, quote, big money for in a restaurant, and then waved his right hand at it like he was doing magician fingers. Now, Encyclopedia Brown says that he was probably waving his hands as some sort of misdirect. He was probably just pinching parts of the lobster to make it look like it was moving. But Dave says no, because he held the lobster by the tail. And then, Dave says, the lobster just didn't do anything. But Bug said he could make it even balance a ping-pong ball on his head, but... He wouldn't show Dave this trick because $1 is only the introductory sample lesson. You have to pay $10 for the full course. So he's gone like full Tony Robbins scam motivational speaker thing here, and I hate it.
1: (laughs) That's also a wildly useless thing to be able to do. Like if you're gonna eat an animal... Do you want to invest $10 in humiliating at first?
2: I mean, I guess if you're just bad at catching lobsters, which usually just involves putting down a trap and then coming back tomorrow, (laughs) I guess, but you're right, it seems like a strange hunting technique.
1: The ball balancing, like, when's that gonna come up? (laughs) That part feels unnecessary.
0: if that's humiliating the lobster though that's teaching the lobster a trade oh Oh, so hypothetically if the
1: lobster becomes like a cool circus lobster you won't eat it
0: exactly it's giving the lobster an opportunity to be taught how to fish so to speak.
2: Vanessa, (laughs) you have gotten a bonus point. You're back at zero now for uh, insinuating that this lobster can, you know, make it on its own. (laughs) (laughs) So Dave places a quarter on the gas can where Encyclopedia Brown takes his detective earnings. And he says he wants EB to get his dollar back because, quote, I didn't learn a trick. All I got was this. And he shows him a Polaroid photo of Bugs and Dave with this big red lobster and Bugs making the magic hands at it. And I love that this is just the version of I went on the vacation and all I got was this shirt kind of thing. (laughs) This is the the energy that Dave is bringing to the table.
0: Okay, is the lobster red? Yes. Then the lobster's dead. I think that that's going to be the solution, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Well, there's not much more to the mystery left. (laughs) 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 So they go to confront Bugs. Bugs says, make like a drum and beat it. Dave says, give me back my dollar. And then he says, you never told me that it was this whole introductory lesson thing. And Bugs says, well, no one can learn overnight. It took me weeks. You have to learn this whole process. And then it goes on. Dave says, you didn't teach the old lobster to do one trick. And then... Bug says, that's because it was a girl lobster. I told you girl lobsters are hard for boys to hypnotize. Okay, yeah, that's weird. Encyclopedia Brown bugs in and he says, this is a bunch of baloney. I know you are lying. And now is the part where normally I would turn to the two of you and ask, how do you know that he's lying? But Hannah has cooked the goose, and by the goose, I mean the lobster. So sorry. And-
0: <laughs> it's a dead lobster.
2: Did you know that that was it, Vanessa? We run on an honor code here, so if you also knew that, I'm happy to award you the points as well, but I will say that was the answer. <laughs>
0: oh, I didn't only know it. I also knew to keep my mouth shut until the right time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, you knew the answer, and you also knew how narrative works. <laughs> yeah, and how to play the game, I knew three things. I definitely don't
1: know how to play the game. (laughs) Not only do I not understand how to play the game, but I also don't understand how any part of that was a mystery.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So the thought was that the premise, if you didn't know that red means dead, you would think that he had it hypnotized to be asleep, and then the extra money is to hypnotize it to do stuff.
0: To fish.
2: Yeah, exactly, to fish with ping pong balls balancing on its head, etc.
0: Gotcha.
2: Yeah, and then the other stuff was a misdirect. Now, I had an incorrect answer because I'm garbage at this. When he brought up the girl lobster thing, they go on to say that they ate the lobster afterwards when they asked for proof, and I thought this was just... like a thing people did, but maybe my grandpa was just a good guy, but my grandpa lived on the Jersey Shore and he got official permits and everything to where he could go lobstering. There was a certain like amount that you could catch and they had to be a certain size and you couldn't catch young ones. There was like a whole procedure, but he could catch his own lobsters. But, even if they were legal for him to catch, he always put the girl ones back because he felt like that was rude since they, you know, give birth to other lobsters. So I just thought people didn't eat girl lobsters, but maybe Pop-Pop is just like a super homie.
0: (laughs) Pop-Pop is old-fashioned. He's from a different generation. This is from an outdated form of chivalry. And given that women tend to die different deaths than men, I'm fine with some chivalry every once in a while. Women get paid 71 cents on the dollar. Men open doors for me. (laughs) Yes, I need to get there faster because I need to work more to earn the same as you.
1: (laughs) Whereas when somebody tries to hold a door for me, I'm like, absolutely not, not on my watch. I'm
0: like, yeah, (laughs) that's right. That's not all you owe me, sir.
1: <laughs> I once got in a standoff with a man where I had held a door open for him and he was like, oh, no, 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 no. And was trying to take the door from me so he could hold it open for me. You're like, I'm already in. I was like, no, just walk through the door. And he couldn't. Like, he couldn't walk through a door a woman was holding for him. And I was like, I will win. We're <laughs> in a stalemate, and I am going to win this standoff.
2: I live here now. This is where I live.
0: Wait, is this an Encyclopedia <laughs> Brown mystery? Ooh,
2: <laughs> The case of the open door.
1: <laughs> the mystery is, am I still standing in that foyer? <laughs> None of this really explains how that the lobster having a long tail had... Something to do with this, but I guess that's kind of a red herring, isn't it? The lobster sex conversation at the beginning of the mystery. No,
0: it's a red lobster, not a red (laughs) herring. You have to start listening.
2: (laughs) 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 Oh my gosh. Yeah, I thought because they had said, oh, it didn't work because it was a girl lobster, and then we ate the lobster. I was like, but you don't eat girl lobsters, so... (laughs) You're lying. I figured this (laughs) trick out. It's impossible. Exactly. Because sometimes the solution is just Encyclopedia Brown just knows you're lying, so something is up. So I didn't really think the next step. I just thought, you're not supposed to do that, so you're lying. But I guess Pop-Pop just rolls differently.
0: I love Pop-Pop.
2: Big fan. He was a good dude.
0: Mike, when you're a grandpa, what do you want to be called?
2: I think I want to keep Pop-Pop. It's a good one. My dad is now currently going by Pop-Pop because my sister has a three-year-old, so he has become Pop-Pop. I would love to take the Pop Pop mantle. It's like Batman, where <laughs> when you become Pop Pop, you like also have to become like nicer and more calm. And I think that that would be important for me as a human.
1: <laughs> yeah, like Batman,
2: famously nice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you each got three points for getting it right, but Vanessa got two bonus points for trash talk. So uh, it's now five to three in favor of Vanessa. (laughs) This is outrageous. I can't believe you started at negative one and you're still beating me.
0: Podcasting is not a visual medium so people could not see the victory dance I just did, but everybody should know that it was like a skit from Cheer. It was that good.
1: (laughs) Wow, how are your bones?
0: Mildly broken, but it was worth it for the art. I suffer for my art. Okay.
2: We have our first official sponsor of Meddling Adults, meaning we can give even more money to charity. Today's sponsor is Green Chef. Green Chef is a USDA-certified organic company, and their meal plans include vegan meals, vegetarian meals, paleo meals, and keto meals. How Green Chef works is you pick the lifestyle that you want your meal to fall under, and then they send you recipes which are quick and easy to make with step-by-step instructions, chef tips, and photos to guide you along the way. And Green Chef's expert chefs have designed flavorful recipes for your lifestyle that go way beyond just your standard ordinary substitutions. I have cooked a box from Green Chef, and one of the recipes in that was this barbecue, mustard, pork. Oh my gosh, it was so... Delicious. It was absolutely fantastic. It was great. It was gluten-free and just absolutely scrumptious. Now if you are a Potterless listener and this sounds a bit familiar, that is because Green Chef is now owned by HelloFresh to offer a wider array of meal plans to choose from. And I have used both Green Chef and HelloFresh, I enjoy both Green Chef and HelloFresh, and I appreciate that Green Chef has the particular lifestyle choices because I've been confused about what to do when trying to cook for my vegetarian friends or my gluten intolerant aunt, so the fact that Green Chef can teach me how to make recipes in those wheelhouses makes me very happy. And if you want to get in on this absolutely scrumptious, delicious meal kit service that fits your lifestyle, then you can go to greenchef.com slash meddlingadults80 and use the code meddlingadults80 to get $80 off across four boxes, including free shipping on your first box. So that is greenchef.com slash meddlingadults80 and use the code meddlingadults80 to get $80 off across four boxes, including free shipping on your first box. So go check it out and make some tasty food. Hooray! So now we go into our second case, the case of the parking meters. The narrator starts this one pretty hot. Quote, Bugs Meany had one goal in life. It was to get even with Encyclopedia Brown. Bugs Meany hated being outsmarted. He longed to pound the top of Encyclopedia's head until the detective could pull up his socks by lifting his eyebrows. That's incredible. Wow. Old timey jargon really comes through. But... Bugs Meanie never uses force against Encyclopedia Brown because Encyclopedia Brown's partner in solving crimes, Sally Kimball, who is the prettiest and strongest girl in the fifth grade, has beaten up Bugs Meanie on multiple occasions. And the narrator describes this as, quote, Whenever he felt like beating up Encyclopedia, he thought twice about Encyclopedia's partner, Sally. One for each of her fists. So I love using the think twice in conjunction with, you know, here's my two biceps name and other name. It's the two thoughts that he has about crossing encyclopedia because Sally's going to beat him up. Yeah. This is the first thing you've said that's made me want to read an encyclopedia Brown book. Sally Kimball is incredible. These books, which launched in 1965, this particular one is from 1975, are ridiculously and very surprisingly feminist in that Sally Kimball is the true hero of the series. She is perfect. She's won softball games with game-winning home runs. She beats people up. She solves mysteries. She is just a multifaceted human, and I just love it.
0: The Jenny Weasley of Encyclopedia Brown. Yes,
2: pretty much. <laughs> so on Monday, a boy had called the Brown Detective Agency telling Encyclopedia Brown to meet him for important business at the cemetery at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. But when Encyclopedia showed up, no one was there. Yesterday, which is Wednesday, Sally received a call from a boy asking to meet him at a deserted airship at seven o'clock with a case. Again, she showed up. No one was there. Sally thinks that this has to be some sort of bugs Meanie revenge plan. This is a very common theme throughout the books where bugs Meanie sets up some sort of thing. He gets the local police officers who are incredibly gullible in this town in on it and then gets accomplices to make Bugs and Sally look guilty, and it never works. And uh, spoiler alert, Encyclopedia Brown and Sally thwart this attempt as well. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry. Encyclopedia Brown and Sally, more competent than the local police department in Idaville, Florida.
1: That checks out, yeah.
2: Mm -hmm. So Sally and Encyclopedia Brown are talking about this and a police car stops in the driveway of the Brown detective agency and Bugs and Officer Culp get out and Bugs screams, there they are, Mr. Brains and Miss Muscles. Private detectives, my eyeball. They should be in jail. So (laughs) Encyclopedia Brown says, what's he shouting about? And the officer says that Bugs has claimed that Encyclopedia Brown goes along the streets saving drivers from $5 parking fines. Apparently, Bug says that Encyclopedia Brown puts dimes in the meters and then leaves a little calling card. And he has one of these calling cards, which reads, Hi, you have just been saved from a $5 parking ticket by the Robin Hood parking aid. Your time on the meter had run out. Could you send $2 so that I may continue to bring you and others the service? And then the card is signed Robin Hood, and it has an address on it, which is Encyclopedia's address. I'm not going to list it because that would dox him. (laughs)
0: Very sensitive. You're so (laughs) thoughtful, Mike, of our nerves of Encyclopedia Brown's safety. I'm very impressed.
2: I'm just trying my best. But yeah, I mean, I guess this is technically illegal, but it does feel like Encyclopedia Brown is getting accused of doing a good thing.
1: If not illegal, there's a larger grift happening here, which is, I gave you a dime, please give me $2.
0: Well, I don't think that that's a grift, though. He's assuming that only like one in 10 people will actually do that. He just saved that person $3.
2: It does kind of feel like change.org where you sign a petition and they're like, hey, do you want to give? $3, which no one should do because it doesn't actually go to the fund. It just goes to change.org. But it felt like that kind of vibe of, oh, something good has now happened. Can you pay me?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think if you actually set this up, if you were actually like, I am going to make it my business to go around to people whose meter is about to run out and put some money in that meter and then just have like a like Venmo On a card that's like, if you want to contribute to this fund of like this cool initiative that I'm doing, then go ahead and like chip a little money in. It's all going to go into like putting money into people's meters. Not only would that not be illegal, I think it would be great and we should do it.
2: Yeah,
0: (laughs) me too.
2: So Bugs says he must be raking in money and I bet he doesn't report a cent of it to the government. So now this has become a tax fraud case.
0: Yeah, Al
1: Capone of Florida. (laughs) Yeah, well, he's a child, so he probably doesn't have to pay income (laughs) tax.
2: So Officer Culp seems a bit uncomfortable, and he even says, I'm not sure if any laws have been broken, but we would have to let a judge decide. So Sally and Encyclopedia Brown say, this is ridiculous. You have no proof. This is just you accusing us with no sort of evidence at all. Bug says that he had video of Encyclopedia Brown doing it on Monday, three o'clock, which is the same time that he got that phone call. But then Bugs says, quote, this screwy dame stole the film. Mm. Sally says, I did what? And then Officer Colt butts in. He says, Bugs claimed that he picked up the developed film yesterday, and at 7 o'clock in the evening, he showed it in his living room to his pals. Just as the film ended, he says that you jumped through the window grabbed the reel out of the movie projector and ran away. Incredible. Bug says that he chased Sally across the backyard and when she passed into the streetlight, he saw that she wasn't holding the film reel anymore, <gasps> so he thinks that she must have just tossed it at some point.
0: Like a Lorena Bobbitt thing. <laughs> I, I do not <laughs> oh, know what connection. that is. What
2: is
1: that from? She probably tossed it into the bushes like a severed penis. Yeah.
2: Is that what that was a reference to? What are we talking about? You don't know about Lorena Bobbitt? I don't.
0: Are you too young? Oh, man. Maybe. I think he is. Oh, that's cute. Lorena Bobbitt chopped off her husband's penis and she like got in the car to run away from him. He was abusing her and she was like driving and she was like, oh shit, I still have his penis in my hand. And so she threw it out the car window and it like fell into a field and then the cops did a search and they found it in the field and they reattached his penis. Wow. Wow. And then he made porns with his reattached penis.
2: Ah, no. You've lost a point for telling me that. I didn't know to know that part. Four to three. It
0: gets worse. (laughs) Do you want me to keep going? No.
2: No. I do not. (laughs) Your own bonus points are at stake. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, please keep
0: going. This is how I'm going to (laughs) win. But my joy in watching, making you a little uncomfortable by telling you like a news story.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's its own bonus point. Yeah.
0: (laughs) But I only believe in making people uncomfortable when they consent to. So I shall stop.
2: Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you for your service. So... Krupp asks Encyclopedia Brown and Sally, where were you at Monday at three and Wednesday at seven? And they say the whole phone call thing, but since there were no witnesses, their alibis are looking a bit shaky. So Culp says, let's go to Bugs' house to look for evidence and stuff since we're currently in a your word against mine situation. So they search Bugs's backyard for the missing roll of film. And after a few minutes, Bugs shouts, I've got it. And he sees the reel of film and he says that no wonder I couldn't find it before. It was under this newspaper that the wind had blown over it. So he takes the film, goes into the living room, pops it into the projector turns it on, and it starts playing. The narrator describes, quote, most of the film showed Bugs and his tiger friends making muscles at the beach. Teenage boy stuff, I guess. That's what people did in the
1: 70s? Yeah. I have an urgent question. Yes. Is making muscles flexing your muscles and posing, or is making muscles
0: an old-timey word for doing push-ups? Fascinating question.
2: I do not know... (laughs) But your question did spark me to think, did they bring out a grill and are they making mussels the dish on the beach? Because that would be the best case scenario. That's spelt differently. So... Oh, you're right, you're right, you're true, right, you're right you're right, right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're very, you're dead right. Damn. Do I get a bonus point for knowing how to spell? Um, No, because you made me sad now that I know that's not a possibility. So one point for knowing how to spell minus one point because I wanted this to be my truth.
0: Mike, can I actually just make a request to any listener out there who's an expert and 1970s slang. Could you please write in and tell us what making muscles means? We would really appreciate it.
2: Who's to say? We'll never know. But then the film cuts to a boy dressed in sneakers, jeans, and a red shirt looking like clothes that Encyclopedia Brown would wear. And in this video, you see this boy putting a coin in a parking meter and then tucking one of those calling cards under the windshield wiper. Bugs thinks that this is proof. Sally says, no way, because you never see Encyclopedia Brown's face. But the narrator describes that she was still a bit worried, leans over to Encyclopedia Brown and whispers, that boy does look like you from the back. Bugs seems to have built a case against us. And Encyclopedia Brown says, no, he built a case against himself. So I turn to the two of you. How does Encyclopedia Brown know that Bugs Bunny is lying? Mm, he's a witch. Mm, interesting thought. Okay, <gasps> because what? in the video, <laughs> uh, oh, sorry, it's not a race. We just go by the honor code here.
1: <laughs> never, Hannah. Never apologize for yelling. Go. <laughs>
0: no, uh, Doctor Hannah. I just called you Hannah by accident. <laughs> I didn't even call you by your honorific. I am holding the door for you. Please go through.
2: (laughs) Oh, no. I've seen this before. Don't do it. You don't want to hold the door.
1: (laughs) 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 Ah! (laughs) Is there a date on the newspaper?
2: There is not a date shown on the newspaper.
1: That's all I had.
2: Okay.
0: Okay, I think that Mr. Meany was wearing the same clothes when he was making muscles oh. and putting dimes in the meter.
2: Okay, okay, I like it.
0: Okay, I'm ready.
2: Okay. Bugs
1: Meany is older than Encyclopedia Brown, so he's visibly several feet taller than the much younger child he's trying to scam.
2: Okay, those are both good guesses, and they are better than my guess, which was... The newspaper wouldn't just stay on top of the reel all the time. That had to have been a lie. That
1: was my original guess. I was like, oh, it's going to be today's newspaper. And then it's impossible that it blew. I don't know where I was going with that.
0: That was so much smarter than my thought process.
2: Here's what it is. And I genuinely was very shocked when I read this answer. And I was upset for not thinking about it. He just takes the film and puts it in and hits play and then the damning footage shows after but he didn't rewind it at all and in his story he said Sally took the film right as they were watching the video of Encyclopedia Brown stealing it so he would have had to rewind the film before putting it in otherwise the video would have started either right at or right after or partway through the video of him doing it which I thought was really clever
0: it is but can I make an argument for why I should get the points for being closer. Wow.
2: That is not a thing in this show. (laughs)
1: Wow. Because you think it's more realistic that he was making muscles (laughs) while wearing Encyclopedia Brown cosplay on the
0: beach? (laughs) Because I think that my answer was about continuity and that this actual solution is a question of continuity. And so thematically, i was on point. <laughs> Dr. Hannah, please feel free to defend your answer. I
1: mean, my answer was absurd. <laughs> it was patently incorrect. Though also my answer is more realistic because if it was in fact Bugs Meany in bad cosplay, everybody would be able to look at him on video and be like, look at this absurdly large
2: child. <laughs> I'm going to unleash some big middle school math teacher energy while saying, you don't get partial credit for building part of a bridge, so you don't get partial credit for making a guess that kind of makes sense. So, no points awarded!
0: That is such... A dumb expression, because you do get partial credit for building part of a bridge. Oh,
1: it's the worst. Yeah, no individual is building the entire bridge. It's a fundamentally collaborative exercise, so that's very silly. I would also like to say that the lobster mystery really lulled me into a false state of confidence, because I was like, oh, they're all going to be wildly obvious. What I'm going to have to learn to do is just to not shout out the response the second I hear it. And then the second one was hard, and now I'm mad
2: I will give everyone a little peek behind the curtain of how I make this show is that I like to sandwich them where they uh, it's an easy one and then the hardest stuff's right in the middle, baby. And then we can end on like a, a nice little easy note. But this one's a little bit in between. Sorry, is that what your sandwiches are like? Are they soft in the outside but hard in the middle? Yeah, you know, bread is softer than meat, I guess. <laughs> moving on to case three, the case of the broken window. <laughs> So, Encyclopedia Brown and his dad, who is the chief of police, are on the way to John Hall's house after getting a call at 8:30 p.m. Chief Brown is dressed as a caveman, and Encyclopedia Brown is dressed as a pirate because you've guessed it, this episode's coming out in October. We got ourselves a Halloween mystery, folks. Ooh. Very excited about this. There is a crime currently underway at Mr. Hall's costume party that is happening. He called them and he wanted them to show up in costume because he didn't want the people to get scared when the cops show up at a party. I appreciate Mr. Hall's hosting skills here.
0: Except that they could have shown up in their uniforms.
2: Yep, that was exactly the next thought that I had.
0: Yeah. And been like, I'm a police for Halloween.
2: <laughs> the only thing I could guess is that maybe since he's the chief, enough people know what he looks like, where if Chief Brown is wearing his officer's outfit, or if it's too good, it's too realistic. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, so his caveman costume involves a full face mask? No, but they think he's there in a caveman capacity, right? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's not there as a police
1: officer, he's there as a caveman, so he's primarily going to be fighting dinosaurs like cavemen do.
2: Yeah, he's not our neighbor Jim the caveman from the Geico caveman TV show that existed for like one season, I think. No, that's a fever dream you had. Oh, it's a fever dream that unfortunately was real. <laughs> so Encyclopedia Brown asks what's the situation as they're driving over. So Chief Brown says that someone, perhaps a guest at the party, stole a A valuable stamp. That's right. The narrator says that Mr. Hall had the largest stamp collection in all of Idaville, Florida. Some of his stamps were worth thousands of dollars. (gasps) Mm -hmm.
0: I'm here for the sound effects.
2: (laughs) So they arrive at the door at 845 and Mr. Hall and Chief Brown shake hands. And Chief Brown says, this is my son, Leroy. I hope you don't mind that I brought him along. And Mr. Hall goes, your son? I thought that was a real pirate. I love Mr. Hall. I think he's great. Someone has just stolen his very valuable stamps, and he's still here to make jokes for this fifth grader. I'm all about it.
1: All right, so it was a joke. Mr. Hull wasn't confused.
2: No, Mr. Hull is not a ridiculous human. He does know that this is a child in a Halloween costume. (laughs) Okay, check. He could have thought it was a short pirate. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, look, it's fictional Florida. They could have a caveman neighbor and a pirate neighbor. We can't rule it out. Yeah. (laughs) So Mr. Hall takes them through the party into his study, where the window in the study is unlocked, but the glass is shattered. And Mr. Hall stops by his desk, on top of which is a stamp collector's album. And then he explains what happened. So at 7 o'clock, he had taken the stamp album from his safe, which is in the wall, to just look at all of his stamps. The narrator describes it as, quote, to enjoy it, and I really did not like that phrasing. Yeah, he's going to jerk it. It's fine. Don't judge. (laughs) (laughs) So at 8 o'clock, the first guest had arrived, and Mr. Hall had gone downstairs to greet them. He had locked the door and the window, but he had left the album out on the desk. So around 8.30, he went back upstairs to go put the album back in the safe. But he had found that the door was unlocked and the window was still locked, but it was broken. Mr. Hall says that the only thing he knows is missing is the Louis Guinea, which is a French stamp that is worth $10,000, and let me just say, I went to my favorite website, the United States Bureau of Labor and Statistics, to look at the inflation. $10,000 in 1975 is $48,311.90. This is a $50,000 stamp. uh, That's just based on inflation. The
1: actual value of the stamp might have also gone up over time. Right.
2: It's ridiculous. (laughs) So Chief Brown has a theory. He says that the thief probably snuck up the stairs and saw that the door was locked. So he went into the backyard, climbed into a tree near the window, and then broke the window to get in, and then probably went out of the door, unlocking it from the inside. Chief Brown then asks, has anybody left the party? And Mr. Hall says no. And this means that the thief is still at the party.
0: The stamp is still inside the house.
2: The stamp is coming from within the house.
0: (laughs) It's like instead of the call coming from inside the house, the letter gets sent from inside the house. Oh, the
2: return address is from inside the house.
0: (laughs) Wow, what
1: a slow way of building tension.
2: (laughs) So they want to figure out what's up, but they don't want to make a big fuss because the culprit could easily hide or destroy the stamp if they know that a search is underway.
0: They could just lick it. They could eat it.
2: You know, so many things. (laughs) So Chief Brown and Encyclopedia Brown go to sleuth around in incognito in costume, which I think is great. So Hall goes downstairs, but before Encyclopedia Brown and Chief Brown go downstairs, they check out the study to look for clues. It says that it was bare except for a pair of tweezers, a bottle of Benzine and an eyedropper for finding watermarks. So just different ways to observe the stamps. There's also a quartz lamp, which was behind the desk chair. And Chief Brown calls over Encyclopedia Brown because near the broken glass, There's the window glass, but there's also curved glass. And it was in the middle of all this broken window glass. And Chief Brown says it's curved. Maybe it's from an eyeglass lens. The thief might have broken his glasses trying to get into the room. So their initial idea is they're going to look for someone either with broken glasses or someone that is squinting because they tossed their broken glasses. So they decide that they're going to split up in the party, Snoop about for 30 minutes and reconvene in the kitchen. Good plan. I love it. So Encyclopedia Brown notices that there's one of those person in a horse, but it's two people inside a big floppy horse costume walks by. Classic. And Encyclopedia Brown thinks, well, maybe the guy inside the costume broke his glasses, but how would I know? Get in there with him. Just
0: climb right (laughs) inside. Only reasonable answer.
2: I'm giving Hannah a bonus point for that suggestion because I love the thought of it. (laughs)
0: just let me just scooch in here (laughs) no I think he knocks it's like can I, can I come in? Uh, it's a party inside the pants, right? Hmm.
2: <laughs> so then there's someone that walks by in a Sherlock Holmes costume. He's got the deer stalker cap, a magnifying glass, and a pipe. And he is reading a poem to a woman dressed as a ballerina. And he is reading. He doesn't have eyeglasses on. He's not using the magnifying glass to read it. And the ballerina is squinting. But Encyclopedia Brown thinks, hmm, maybe she is just batting his eyes at him or something. And then he sees someone dress as Humpty Dumpty, who's sitting on a chair, and he is looking rough. He says he's blinking a lot, and he has red eyes. And Encyclopedia Brown, which I didn't know this was a 1975 term, he says, oh, he's just tipsy. Especially confirming this after Humpty Dumpty, a very on-brand, falls off of his chair. Has a great fall. Yeah, classic. <laughs> yeah. That's how we do. Yeah. You commit to the bit. So at the end of the half hour, Encyclopedia Brown saw no one with broken eyeglasses or squinting, goes into the kitchen to meet up with his dad. His dad says the same thing. He didn't see anybody that fit their description. He says, I hope that you did better than I, because I struck out. And Encyclopedia Brown says, struck out. Dad, that's it. That bit of curved glass wasn't from an eyeglass lens at all. So now I turn to the two of you. What was this broken glass from? And how does Encyclopedia Brown know who did it? Was it from the
0: magnifying glass?
2: The magnifying glass that Sherlock Holmes... Is holding. It's an intact functional magnifying glass. Okay.
0: So the curved glass is from the lamp that broke because a baseball something. Something with curveball makes me think that there's a baseball involved here.
2: Oh. Struck out. Just struck, I will say. He says struck, that's it.
1: Oh.
2: You can have another guess, but yeah, struck is specifically the aha moment. Uh huh. Uh
1: huh. Uh-huh. So we had a horse, a ballerina, a Humpty Dumpty, and a Sherlock Holmes. And then
2: the top of the horse. We have two people in the horse costume.
1: <laughs> We've got two people. Actually, we have
0: three. Encyclopedia
1: Brown. <laughs> yeah, he's also in there. He's also gotten in there. Okay. So the answer is that it was just a baseball player that the narrative never mentioned.
2: Ooh. <laughs> I will give the hint. It is someone that is mentioned. I don't know if you had a backup guess, but it is one of these people you've identified as if you both want to guess not the <laughs> mystery baseball player.
0: Yeah, I got a guess. The curved glass of the horn, of the ballerina, Sherlock Holmes, Humpty Dumpty. It's Humpty Dumpty. Okay. Because the glass is somehow curved for his shape. Okay. It was
1: Humpty Dumpty, but it has something to do with his red eyes and the eyedropper.
2: Oh, okay. So you're both wrong, but I like the guesses. <laughs> It was Sherlock Holmes because when they were in the room to look at the stamps, there was no way of magnifying looking at the stamps. There wasn't like a magnifying glass or a microscope or anything. So what Encyclopedia Brown reasons is that to break open the window, the Sherlock Holmes used his magnifying glass to break it open, which caused his to break. So he got rid of the broken one and then took the functioning one from inside the study.
0: There was only one magnifying glass in the house and there should have been two.
2: Mm Mm-hmm, that was that. So I will say we're at a very interesting point in that it is tied, it's four to four. So we have a tie-break riddle. Now, the way this works, whoever buzzes in first, just say buzz out loud. And if you get this one right, you get it. So here's what it's all coming down to. Here's a riddle. Which word is spelled incorrectly in every dictionary?
1: Buzz. Yeah. Incorrectly.
2: Yes, that is it. The word incorrectly (laughs) is spelled incorrectly in every dictionary.
0: Mm, and that's mm, why she's a doctor, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> doctor of words.
2: Uh, uh, uh. Oh, wow. Doctor of words indeed. So, Dr. Hannah, you have reigned victorious. You have earned money for the downtown Eastside Women's Center. How does it feel to win this one over Vanessa?
1: I think we can all really agree that I was the underdog for this whole episode. <laughs> 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 hey!
0: How, how Thing. You were the backside of the horse.
1: I, yeah, exactly. I'm a real horse's ass. And it was surprising <laughs> to everyone, myself included. So I, I'm i proud. I'm elated. I'm going to hold this over Vanessa's head for uh, the rest of our lives. Yeah, years,
0: <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah.
1: You couldn't have given this victory to anybody less deserving.
0: <laughs> Hannah and I are just at the beginning of what I hope to be a lifelong relationship and friendship. So I'm glad that you got this early on, Hannah. Dr.
2: Hannah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's wonderful. Well, Vanessa, you fought valiantly. It was close. It came down to a tie break. So I'm proud of your efforts as well. But thank you both so much for joining. This was a ton of fun. Vanessa, if people want to find you doing stuff on the internet, podcast wise or other, uh, where can they do so?
0: I have a podcast called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, so you can find me in all the places.
2: Wonderful. What about you, Dr. Hannah?
1: Oh, I make a podcast called Witch Please, which is on Vanessa's podcasting network. And that is also, you know, places where podcasts are.
2: <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you both so much for joining listeners. Thank you for listening. And and you know, the, the score in this wasn't the highest, but you did have very creative solutions, which uh, we will say makes you some interesting meddling adults.
1: Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow, that ending with that nagging is just I know. <laughs> Just
0: saved it up. I'm going to delete the (laughs) audio as I hit stop. Jokes on you. I
2: recorded the Skype call. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Meddling Adults. Meddling Adults is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schubert. Our editor is Brandon Grugel. The art is by Maayan Atias and Kelly Schubert. The music is by Bettina Campomanes and Brandon Grugel. And the web design is by me and Kelly Schubert. If you want to support the show and help us raise more money for charity, you can do so at patreon.com meddlingadults. You'll get access to some bonus features and we'll put your name on the website. Or if you just want to give a one-time donation, you can do so at paypal.me meddlingadults. If you want to follow the show on social media, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and instagram at meddling adults as well as reddit.com slash r slash meddling adults and if you want to learn more about the show as well as the charities we're supporting you can go to meddlingadults.com. and thanks to multitude for having us as a part of the collective if you want to listen to some other great podcasts some of which i have a hand in or if you want to learn how to make a podcast of your own you can do so at multitude.productions thanks again for listening and hope to see you next wednesday for the next episode of this season